Last week we talked about knowing God better and how we fail so often in our devotion toward the Lord. How oftentimes we go, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And it's so many times with that commitment we fail in our devotion to the Lord so often. So we're going to talk about a man named Peter who did the very same thing and how the Lord dealt with him on an individual level. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you, Father, that you have given us treasures in your word. We thank you that you've given us examples of men and women who loved you. We thank you that your word just doesn't hide things about them, Lord, but tells the whole truth. They weren't just great heroes. They were men of flesh and blood, feet of clay like we are, who failed, who blew it, but whom you loved and whom you restored. Lord, I pray that today, through your word, you'd show us great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to talk about Peter. I love to talk about Peter because Peter reminds me of me. Peter was always, Peter's the kind of guy that always said the wrong thing at the wrong time. He never had the right thing to say. He said one good thing and the next minute he goes, Lord, be it far from you, you won't go to Jerusalem and die. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And the Lord had to rebuke Peter. Peter always stuck his foot in his mouth. And it seemed like Peter only took his foot out of his mouth to insert the other foot. He was always saying stupid things. He was always failing, but at the same time, he had such an intense love and devotion for the Lord. And the Lord began to mold Peter. And I think all of us can see a little bit or a lot of Peter in all of us. We're going to cover a story that we're all very familiar with. It's when Peter denied Jesus Christ. And so we'll pick it up in verse 66 of chapter 14. And as Peter was Beneath, in the court, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked up upon him and said, And thou also was with, was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what you're saying. And he went out unto the porch, and the cock crowed. And the maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and your speech agrees to this. (laughs) Again, Peter always had to say something. I can tell you, a Galilean, you talk so much. Your speech agrees to this. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom we speak. Wait a minute, is this the Peter we know? Is this the Peter who said, Lord, I'll never leave or forsake you? Isn't this the same Peter who said, Lord, you don't know me. I love you, Lord. I never do it. Lord, I walked with you for three years. You know how devoted I've been. You know, hey, even though everybody leaves on you, I'll stick by you, Lord. You know me better than that. The same Peter saying, cursing, swearing that he doesn't deny the Lord. Is that possible? Let's see. Verse 72. And the second time the cock crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crows twice, You shall deny me three times. And when he thought of this, he wept. And in other better translations, it says, he went out and wept convulsively. Bitterly wept because he had failed in his devotion toward the Lord. He thought he was strong. He was sure he loved the Lord. He's sure he'd never fail. But Jesus knew him better than that. Jesus told him that he would fail. 
And Jesus also told him that he would restore him back into fellowship, trying to brace him for the situation. But Peter failed. Why did Peter fail? What happened with a man who had such a zeal for God? How and what steps did he take backward to get to this position of denying the Lord? Let's look at a few verses. Look at verse 29. Pick it up in verse 26. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So after they sang, Isn't He Beautiful? They went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said unto them, And you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said unto him, Although all be offended, yet not will I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, This day, even this night, Peter, before the cock grows twice, you're going to deny me three times. But he spoke the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny you in any way. Likewise, all of them said. Jesus told him he'd fail. What did he say? No way, Lord. Is that possible to say? No way, Lord. Not so, Lord of my life. The Lord told him he wasn't going to argue with the Lord. No, I'm not going to do that. Peter was a man who had a zeal for God. Peter was a man who trusted in Peter. So the first step, Peter trusted in Peter. He trusted in his own flesh. The arm of the flesh is always the wrong thing to trust in. It's always weak. Anytime you say, I can stand up, I'll never deny the Lord. I'm too strong in the Lord. I've walked with the Lord for X number of years. No way, I can't fail. That's trusting in the flesh. Arm in the flesh. Now what's the next step? Let's look over at verse 37. Pick it up in 35. And he went forward a little and he fell on the ground. This is Jesus. And he prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And he cometh and he findeth them sleeping. And he said unto Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could not you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. What happened? He entered into temptation. First he trusted in his flesh. Then he started slacking off in his personal devotional life toward the Lord. You can always trace the steps of a person who's going away from the Lord. He begins to trust in his own strength. Lord, thanks a lot. Holy Spirit, I know you're busy. Thank you for leading me up to this far. Go ahead and take a vacation. I can handle it so far. Thanks. Trust in his flesh. Then he wanes in his devotional life. Doesn't get into the Word as much. His prayer life is very shallow. To him, Peter, all he could think about is sleeping. He was tired. He had a a reason to be. But he needed to stay in prayer. More than anything. So he failed in his devotional life. And then in verse 47. It says, And one of them that stood by, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, drew a sword and smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now who is this? This is Peter. This is the guy that we know in the other gospel says Peter took out a sword and tried to run the guy and he, and he got his ear. Peter was a fisherman, but a very poor swordsman. He was aiming for his head. He missed and he got his ear. Third step. He had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. God will do anything. He's just like this, ready to go. 
but not commissioned by the Lord. He was very zealous, but it wasn't the will of the Lord. Many people are out trying to serve God like this, striving. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, there are prophets that went out into Israel and they're prophesying, and I didn't send them. So they will not profit the people anything. There will be no fruit in their ministry because I didn't commission them. So, trusted in his flesh, lack of prayer, failed in his devotional life, a, still a very zealous man, zeal for God, but not channeled according to God's knowledge. Now look at verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off. Do you, do you see the steps here? He trusted in Peter. He failed in his prayer, in his devotional life. He wasn't as close to the Lord. Now he's following Jesus afar off. He's not as close to the Lord. He's standing way back. Not really up there with the Lord. Psalm 1 speaks of the righteous man and the wicked man. It says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. One. Two, he sitteth not, or he, he, is, he standeth not with the sinners and sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. And you can follow a digression. When somebody begins to stand in the way of sinners and then he begins to walk with them and then pretty soon he's sitting down with them and scorning the believers. Peter in his failure to stick close to Jesus Christ. Peter in his failure to get to know the Lord better like we talked about last week. Finally is now following the Lord afar off. But there's a final step. In verse 66 it says, And as Peter was beneath in the court, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Are thou also with, with Jesus of Nazareth? The last step is he finally now was warming himself in the camp of the enemy. The people that hated him, he's now warming himself with them in fellowship with them, warming himself by their own fires. This man who walked with the Lord. What a tragedy. A man who was sure he would stand and never fall has now fallen. He's now denied the Lord. He's sworn. He's cursed the Lord. The same Peter? The same Peter who Jesus said, Simon Peter, blessed art thou. Heaven and uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal us to you, but my Father in heaven. You're a special guy, Peter. Now cursing, now denying the Lord. But now we've seen Peter's failure. How does the Lord handle it? How does he deal with it? And this is the beautiful thing because this is Peter's homecoming. This is Peter's hour of restoration. And this is how the Lord, I believe, deals with us. Because we all fail. We all blow it. You know, we look at Peter and go, ha, Peter, what a turkey. How could you deny the Lord, Peter? How could you deny the Lord? Don't we all deny the Lord? Maybe we don't go swear or curse that we don't know the Lord. But don't we deny Him in actions? Or in failing to witness sometimes? In failing to be what God wants us to be? Denying the Lord in front of people or in situations? We all do. And many times, like Peter, we weep bitterly. But now let's trace the steps that Jesus takes to restore Peter back into fellowship, into strength, into communion with Him. The first step is found in Luke chapter 22. So turn over to Luke, and we'll take a Luke. Luke chapter 22. 
Luke 22, let's pick it up in verse 31. It says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Isn't that interesting? Satan has desired you. Verse 32, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. He says, ah, Satan has desired that he could have you, but I prayed for you. Now there's two words here. First he says, Satan has desired you, plural, meaning he was speaking to all his disciples. He's like saying, hey disciples, Satan has desired all of you that he could sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, singular, speaking of Peter. Satan has desired to have all of you, but Peter, I prayed for you. Singled him out, because he knew that Peter would fail. Satan desires all of you. You know, we often hear, we often witness, Jesus loves you. We always say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Four spiritual laws. But do you realize that Satan hates you and has a miserable plan for your life? As much as God loves you, Satan hates your guts. He doesn't want you to grow in the Lord. He doesn't want you to get saved if you're not. And if you are a Christian, he wants you to be stagnant and stale, doesn't he? He wants you to stop in your growth. He wants you to say, hey, I'm okay. I'm good where I'm at. I don't want to grow anymore. You know why? Because then you'll profit nothing. You'll be good for nothing. Because you won't be witnessing to people to bring them to the Lord. You won't be growing in your relationship to Jesus Christ and being salty to other Christians and uplifting them and bringing them to Jesus Christ. So he's got you where he wants you, a sitting duck, stagnant, stale, not growing. Notice the two contrasts. Satan desired, but I have prayed. Satan and the Lord. The war against the soul. What an incredible sentence. Satan desired you, but I prayed for you. I like that. Was his prayer answered? Was the prayer of Jesus Christ answered? I pray, Peter, that your faith fail not. Now, did Peter's faith fail? Was Jesus' prayer answered? I believe it was answered. I believe that Peter's faith never failed. I believe his courage failed. I believe his devotion failed. I believe his hope failed. I believe his obedience failed. But deep in his heart, I believe he still believed and clung to the Lord. Even in the midst of denying the Lord, he knew who he was because he finally wept because he realized what he had done. Oh, this is the man that I've loved, that I've walked with. And he realized his own sin. But I believe his faith did not fail. It's like the man on the road to, on the, the road to Emmaus. And after the resurrection, Jesus comes up. He's incognito. They don't recognize who he was. And Jesus just comes cruising along and goes, Hey, what's wrong? How come you guys are sad? And they go, Where have you been? Didn't you hear about Jesus of Nazareth? A man mighty in deed and, and word. And they've taken and they crucified him. But we hoped. Not hope. We hoped. Past tense. In him. See, their hope was dead. They hoped in him, but it was now dead. Peter's hope was dead at this point. But I believe that Peter's faith never failed. I believe that Jesus' answers, Jesus' prayer was answered. But Peter, notice, I have prayed for you. Now this is way before the event happened. This is way before the temptation came upon Peter. And Jesus prayed for him. Jesus took an advance march on the enemy by praying in advance. The first step of Peter's restoration was way before he blew it. 
To me, that's a blessing. We have an advocate, the Bible says, with the Father at the right hand of God who prays for us, intercedes for us. I get excited when I think that Jesus is praying for me. Even when people fail to pray for me, I thank the Lord that Jesus is interceding for me at the right hand of God. An advance attack on the enemy. Peter, I've already prayed for you. You're going to blow it, Peter, and you're going to really be bummed out, but I've already prayed for you. And when you're restored, I want you to take this experience and strengthen the people that are around you. Strengthen your brethren, because there's going to be other people that fail, and I want you to strengthen them. And so we read the first and second epistles of Peter and how Peter strengthened his brethren. He says, even though you fall into different trials and temptations, take heart. Trust the Lord. Pray. And Peter finally learned his lesson. The next step is found in verse 61 of the same chapter. Let's start at verse 54 and retrace the story all over again. Verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. There he is again. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the court and were seated together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also was with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and he said, You're also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after the space of about a half an hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he's a Galilean. Now, you could always tell a Galilean because they had a hick accent. It's true. They were from the country up north, and if you were in Jerusalem, you could always spot a Galilean. He'd say, y'all, or something like that. Hi, y'all. How you doing, high priest? But they had an accent. It was a very distinguishable tone of voice. So he said, wait, wait, your speech agrees with you. We can tell you're a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just denying the Lord. And immediately while he spoke, the cock crowed and noticed. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept, or wept bitterly. The Lord looked upon Peter. This is the second step. Have you ever asked yourself how Jesus looked at Peter? What kind of a look was that? Well, if it was me, and you probably, if my best friend betrayed me, my bosom buddy, who I trusted in up till death, he denied me, I'd be bummed out. I'd go, you, Benedict Arnold. <laughs> you turkey. I loved you, and you turned your back on me. And it would be a look of anger in my eyes. But was Jesus look like that? Did Jesus have an angry, bitter, unforgiving look? No. I tend to think that the look that Jesus looked at Peter with was one of just love and tenderness and compassion. And I believe this is why Peter wept. He saw the Lord's forgiveness even while he was in sin. Even while he was denying the Lord. I believe he looked at him just with a look of, Oh, Peter. You see, if Jesus, in, think about this, if Jesus in his heart would have gotten angry at Peter and bitter at Peter, or for that matter, even when Jesus was whipped and beaten and scourged, if he would have gotten angry, that would have been sin. If Jesus had sinned, he could not have been the sacrifice for the sins of the world because he had to be spotless. 
I believe the look that was just a love of a look of endearing, wooing love for Peter. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, Oh, and he went out and he convulsively wept. He came to an end of himself. And we see the Lord is dealing with him. As Peter was in the courtyard denying and as Jesus was walking by to be crucified, their eyes met. Peter broke. He went out and he wept. He was guilty. You know, guilt can be a healthy thing to an extent. If somebody sins and they feel guilty, they should. It's convicting of the Holy Spirit. But you shouldn't hang on to that. And this is where we're going to see the next step. But Peter wept. Peter cried. And that is an important thing. A lot of people feel that, you know, you should never cry, especially men, the machos. I never cry. I mean, I got it together. Well, you don't got it together then. God gave us little things between our eyes called tear glands to release anxiety, to be able to cry. And Christians especially. You know, the fallacy of the church has been this. We come to church and we all look nice and we all have big smiles on. And inside, a lot of us are crying. We're hurting. We want to reach out and cry on somebody's shoulder. But we dare not because Christians are always supposed to be happy. Baloney. You don't go in a hospital if you feel well. You go in a hospital to get fixed up. The body of Christ is a hospital. I might have a wound this big and you have a band-aid just for me. And I might have a great big gouge and you've got the right band-aid for me. And we exchange with each other. We heal one another. That's the body of Christ. Not just coming in and playing church, but being the body of Christ. Peter went out and wept. Praise the Lord. Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. We'll read two verses. Verse 17. The righteous cry. Notice. The righteous cry. And the Lord heareth them and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near unto who? Those who are of a broken heart and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. A broken heart. Peter had a broken heart. Peter knew he sinned. The look of Jesus, a forgiving, loving look, broke Peter's heart. He realized where he was coming. And that's the step. You get the idea that he was a man who was poor in spirit? Meek? The only way he could receive forgiveness is to come to this place of weeping before the Lord. Turn to Psalm 51. Very similar story, but a man named David, who also loved the Lord. It was called the man after God's own heart. But he failed. But he blew it. He sinned. And God restored him. And notice, in the midst of David's weeping, David said, Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I've done this evil in your sight, that thou mightest be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you shall make me no wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. 
Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Notice what he says. For you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. Hey, if you wanted those things, I'd give them to you. But, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. The sacrifice of God is a broken heart. I pray that God will break your heart this morning. All Peter had when he realized that he had failed to get to know God better, failed in his devotion, all he had left was a busted up, broken old heart. And that's what Jesus wanted. The sacrifice he wanted from Peter wasn't Peter the strong man for God. He wanted a broken heart placed in the hands of Jesus so that he could heal it and bandage it and use him. Peter finally came to this point. But there's another step. Turn to Mark 16 now. Back to Mark. Mark chapter 16. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning of the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher of the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone for us from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, clothed in a long white garment, and they were amazed. I would be too. He said unto them, Be not amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but now he's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples that he goes before you into Galilee. I left something out, didn't I? What did he say? Go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. Now that might not mean much to you, but it sure meant a lot to Peter. A special little note for Peter. Go his disciples, tell his disciples and Peter, specifically tell Peter. I bet you Peter felt great. Imagine what he's going through. He had watched the Lord, taken to Jerusalem, in the garden, arrested him, scourged him, beat him. He carried a cross. At the same time, Peter was cursing the Lord, denying that he ever knew the Lord. Completely failure before the Lord. And he felt rotten. He felt condemned. And then they hung him on a tree and he died. And before he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Peter was just going, wow. Then they put him in a tomb, rolled a stone over it, and he was dead. And Peter was guilty. Have you ever seen people who have treated someone badly that they know and then that person dies and the person is guilt-ridden? Oh, if he was only alive, I'd love to tell him that I love him. I wish I'd never said those things. I wish he was back. And they live in guilt. This is where Peter was at. So for this angel to say, go tell his disciples and Peter, 
meant something very special to Peter. This is the next step in Jesus restoring. See, Jesus deals with everybody individually. He doesn't look at you this morning as a bunch of people in a the theater. He sees individual hearts that he deals with with specific needs. Jesus always dealt in the Gospels very individually, dramatically individually with each individual. said unto you. Now look over at Luke chapter 24. Next book, you're right there. The next step, Luke chapter 24. Verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now this is interesting because we never find a record of, P of Jesus and, and Peter having this little special interview. We have them when they're all together in the upper room or with the road on Emmaus, but never is it recorded where we have a dialogue of Jesus and Peter after the resurrection. But the message here is that Jesus specifically appeared individually to Peter. Peter had his own private interview. We don't know what he said. We don't know when he appeared. But we know that he did. What did he say? We don't know. But I imagine that the Lord probably just took Peter aside and just loved all over him and just forgave him and just took him and said, Peter... I told you that I had to go die. I told you. And I told you that you were going to fail. And I told you that when you're restored to strengthen your brother, and Peter, I want you to know that I've died and I'm risen. And Peter, I love you and I forgive you, Peter. Shake it off, Peter. Come back, Peter. And they probably just smiled at each other and wept on each other and they hugged. Because Jesus loved Peter. And he appeared. And I bet at that point, Peter knew what the cross meant for the first time. He felt the cleansing, the forgiveness. He felt lighter than a feather at this point. Oh, whew. thank you, Lord. Appearing specifically to Peter because Jesus was restoring a man who had fallen from his first love. Failed in his devotion. Jesus knew he would. You see, the, the amazing thing is that we, we think that, you know, we get surprised when we blow it. I never thought I could do that. Well, Jesus did. You don't surprise God when you blow it. God knows your frame that you're but dust. God knew Peter would blow. What did Peter say? Oh, I would never blow it, Lord. You know me better than that, God. You know I'd never do it. Yeah, I sure do know you, Peter. You're going to blow it. Peter, Jesus knew it from the beginning. God knows all about you from the beginning. He's not amazed when you fail and when you fall. But we are. But the Lord restores us. And he felt cleansed. The final point of restoration and our final scripture for today is found in John chapter 21. John 21. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this manner showed he himself. They were all gathered together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Typical. They said unto him, Well, nothing else to do, we'll go with you. They went forth and entered into a boat immediately, and that night they caught nothing. When we do something, 
When we do service not directed by the Lord, you can expect to catch nothing. Jesus never told Peter to go fishing. Peter just said, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm going to decide something on my own. Take my life into my hands. No prophet. He was spinning his wheels. No, notice what happens. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And he answered, nope. He said unto them, well, cast out your net on the right side of the boat and you shall find. They cast it therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of the fish. Now their service is directed by the Lord and they got a full net. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and cast himself into the sea. At all costs, he was going to get to Jesus no matter what is in his way. Stuck on this old big wool coat and jumped in the water to swim after the Lord. Don't you know it was going through Peter's heart? And the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net full of great fish, 153, although they were so many that the fish or the net was not broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Then Jesus came and taking the bread, give us to them and fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. Jesus wanted fellowship with them, so he made a little meal. Jesus loved to eat. Every time he wanted close fellowship, he whipped up a little meal or he invited himself over for dinner. <laughs> you ever have friends like that? They, they come in right at 5 o'clock, right when the dinner said, Hi, just in the neighborhood for a little fellowship. Don't worry, the plate's already set. Come on in. We expected you. So, Jesus makes a fire for them. Now remember, Peter was warming himself by the enemy's fire, right? Now Jesus makes his own fire of fellowship. And they come and they can get together. Then he says in verse 15, When they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. Second time, again, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, Yeah, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said, Feed my sheep. He said the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love thee. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Now there's some words here we need to understand. There are four basic Greek words for love. Jesus said, Peter, agapeo thou me. Do you agape me? In other words, do you love me with a fervent, divine, intense love? Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a brother. A brotherly kinship love. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you agape me? The second time. Agapeo thou me. Do you love me with this fervent, divine, intense love? Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a brother. The third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? 
He didn't use the word agape anymore. He came down to Peter's level and says, well, Peter, do you just love me then as a brother? And I believe Peter hung his head and goes, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I just phileo you. What was Jesus doing? What's this conversation all about? Remember, at one point, Peter said, Lord, I agape you. I love you. I'll never leave you. Peter, <laughs> I know you better than you think I do. You will fail in your devotion for me because it's not an agape love. But Peter swore to it. And now through his failure and his series of restoration, his coming to an end in himself, his weeping before the Lord, he realized that he only phileoed the Lord. And so Peter said, Lord, I can't keep anything from you. I can't say I agape you because you've already shown me. I'm busted. Lord, you know all things. You know my heart and you know that I only phileo you. I don't agape you. Now, did Peter ever agape the Lord? He sure did. He reached that pinnacle of agape when he wrote his letters, First and Second Peter. He said, now we agape the Lord even having never seen him. He reached that pinnacle. But God brought him to a point of honesty. I believe that the Lord can never deal with you effectively till you're honest with the Lord. Don't come to the Lord and say, Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We love you, Lord. And go through the antics if it's not in your heart. Because it's just chaff. I don't believe in hyped up, pumped up worship unless it's from the heart. True worship comes from the heart when you realize God's grace and it's something real. It's not just a confession even though it's not true in the heart. Now Peter tried this. I love you. I love you. I'll never fail you. He failed. And Jesus brought him to a point of honesty and he wept and he realized that he only phileoed the Lord. But he was honest with him. God dealt with him. And then he brought him up to that level of agape. Jesus, Peter wasn't bummed out because Jesus asked him three times. You know, didn't you hear me? It was a thing that he realized that Jesus knew Peter all along. And he knew him better than Peter knew him. That Peter knew himself. Because Jesus descended and said, Peter, you just love me as a brother, right? And that's the way it is. Be honest with the Lord. If you are bummed out, or if you fail in your devotion to the Lord, or if you look at your Bible in the morning and you go, I'm not into reading this. That doesn't mean don't read it, but express your desire to the Lord. Express your heart. Lord, you know I'm really not into doing this. You know that my heart just isn't right right now, but I give it to you. I'm not going to hide it from you. You know where I'm at. Change me, Lord. But I'm not going to lie to you. Come honestly before the Lord and the Lord will look upon you like you looked upon Peter with a look of love, forgiveness as Peter failed in his devotion. And the Lord brought him up. The Lord loved him. He had private, secret messages for God. If you fail this morning, God has a secret, private message for you. He wants to get you alone. He wants to restore you. Don't walk around guilty because I don't know the Lord like I should. There's some incentive in that kind of thinking, but the best incentive is that the Lord will bring you out of it. Trust and commit yourself to the Lord. Now, there's a final indictment or a final warning to Peter. He says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, Peter, you girded yourself and you walked where you would. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee where thou wouldest not. This he spoke, signifying by what death he should glorify God. He said, Peter, you're going to die for me. Now, Peter couldn't even live for the Lord before. He denied the Lord. But Jesus said, Peter, you're going to die for me. And then Jesus said, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. 
Peter, before this point, was never ready to follow the Lord. He tried. Didn't he try? Didn't he think he could stand? Didn't he think he'd never fail? But he couldn't follow the Lord. He just didn't have it in him. Didn't have the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. God didn't bring him from that point of phileo up to agape. But now, Jesus says, Peter, now you're ready. Peter, you failed, but you've been honest. You've wept before me. I've restored you. And now you're ready to follow me. Now I'm going to make you the man that I always wanted you to and that you always wanted to be. Now you're ready to follow me, Peter. This morning, I pray that you could meditate in your own heart on how, one, how you failed the Lord, but not dwell on that. Two, what God has in store for you. If you've got a broken heart this morning, you're in the right place. Give it to the Lord. Let Him look into your eyes with a look of love. He'll restore you. He'll bring you back into right fellowship with Him. Let Him do open heart surgery on you. Let Him come in and just change things. Give Him the keys. Come honestly. If you don't have that good of a relationship with the Lord, don't hide it from Him. He knows it anyway. You don't have to go blab it to everybody else, but just say, Lord, look, you know where I'm at. You know where I want to be. Change me, Lord. And the Lord will do the same work of restoration that He did in Peter. Let's pray. Father, we realize this morning the proverb that he that thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. Father, we all know too well the tendency to trust in our own flesh. The tendency, Lord, to think we can do it that we'll never fail you. And how you bring us to the point of realization that we have all failed in our personal devotion to you, Lord in knowing you on a personal, intimate level in so many areas. But Lord, we thank you that you look upon us, not with eyes of anger, but with a loving, tender, forgiving, gracious heart, bringing us out of the miry clay, setting us on a rock, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed and forgiven, and now ready to follow you, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to be more honest with you. Not to play Joe spiritual, but just to play who we are, to be who we are in front of you and asking you to do the changing, not us. Lord, come in and clean house. We love you this morning. We give you our lives. And we commit this week, Father, unto you. In Jesus' name, everybody.